The following program is furnished by Startup Nation Media Group. All right, welcome to this edition of Startup Nation Radio. We've got a really good story to kick things off today. You know, we're always looking for businesses that are exemplary, those that are achieving success, those that you can model after, learn from, get inspired by. And I think we got a dose of all that coming your way with a story we're going to feature right now. We've got Cameron Cruz on with us. Cameron, welcome to Startup Nation Radio. Yeah, so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I love your story. Love your company. Your company is Our Riveter. I'm going to let you tell the story. Tell us first about what Our Riveter is and how and why you formed it. Happy to. So we named the company Our Riveter after Rosie the Riveter, who mm-hmm. was that World War II icon. Sure. You got to throw up the Rosie arm and people instantly know <laughs> who you're talking about. Right. Um, but ultimately, we're a handbag company on a mission. And basically, we've set out to provide mobile, flexible income for our nation's military families and specifically military spouses who have to move every two to three years on average. So we make handbags, we sell handbags, but really it's so much more than just accessories. I want to just go back to something you said, because I think it's the essence of what makes this so unique. You mentioned mobile flexible income as part of your business model. Can you tell us what in the world that is? Is this something that you created? Is this a new model? What does that mean? And tell us about it. Yeah. So when we first started the business, we realized that there were a lot of people providing flexible income. So there's a lot of part-time jobs. There was jobs where you could work from home, you know, all of these things providing some sort of flexibility. But the real light bulb moment for Lisa and I was when we decided, you know, there's flexibility, but we need mobility too, because we want to be able to take that job with us when we move from station to station or from Fort Bragg to Fort Carson and sure. you know, out to California. So that was kind of the light bulb moment where we knew we had a niche to provide mobile flexible income to military spouses. And the business model was born kind of then and there. I don't know if we're the only ones doing it. I won't claim that, but it mm-hmm. definitely came out of a need for both Lisa and myself and our entire community for that mobile flexible income. Right. So. Let me ask, I have to ask this question because many times people, and I love this about the human spirit, you know, you want to do well in business, you want to do well for yourself and your family and have upward mobility and all that goes with success with a business. But going beyond that, we hear from entrepreneurs on Startup Nation Radio from time to time who have a greater cause in mind with the business that certainly focuses on it being a business. It's certainly a for-profit enterprise, but You're doing good, social good at the same time. For you, what was the driver here? Did you create a business model to serve your social interest or how did it all come about? How did it happen? It came out of a quarter-life crisis, if you will. Okay. (laughs) So Lisa and I both, I had just graduated with a master's in architecture and my husband was in the military and we moved from the beautiful Savannah, Georgia, where we had, ah. I had studied and we had lived and we moved into the middle of nowhere. And so it was like, all right, well, there goes my plan and there's no architecture happening here. So I had, you mm. know, all of the things that I thought were going to be my life, my career plan, everything that I had laid out just kind of got thrown out the window. And so it was in that moment where I realized it was going to look a little bit different. I didn't know what it was going to be. And I had started up a conversation with Lisa about, you know, we had just listened to, I think it was a radio show about grants they were giving for starting jobs in the United States. Mm -hmm. And we both were like, who needs jobs and deserves an opportunity more than the nation's military spouses? And so we found ourselves in this position and then realized, hey, we're not the only ones. And this could really 
not only help us, but help an entire community of people. So it was a little bit selfish, but at the same time, we really saw a big need for our community and we were ready and willing to step up and and step in and do something about it. Okay, but of course, you didn't have jobs to offer at that time, so you needed to solve that problem first. How do you do that? Yeah, we knew we had the mission. We didn't know what the heck we were going to do. Okay, so there we go. Well, there we go. How do you do that? You start a business, right? (laughs) And then you've you've got to hire people. You have jobs to offer and so on. So that's kind of how it all came about and how it happened. And and so you had this idea to start the business. We're going to run to a break in a minute here. But before we go to the break, just tell us, you know, what were the, in the formative stages? How did you come up with the idea? Why handbags? you know, and how specifically and why this specific, I love the brand, by the way, and it certainly fits what you guys are doing and what you're all about and the spirit and essence of the business and, and, and the raison d'etre, if you will, of the business. But tell us why handbags and why this specific business, how did that come about? Well, we knew we wanted to provide that mobile flexible income by doing something a little bit different. We didn't want to just provide another sales opportunity or um, kind of a multi-level marketing opportunity because those were out there. Mm -hmm. And so we knew it wanted to be product and manufacturing based, which is where we kind of got our start and something that we've never really seen before. And honestly, it was a little bit of a process of elimination of what we couldn't do. We couldn't do clothes because it was going to be too expensive and cost too much to start up. So much inventory, it's very technical um, we weren't going to be able to do that because we were we bootstrapped this entire thing. So mm-hmm. we didn't have any money. We didn't have any resources and we had no experience. So it was going to have to be something that we could pull off in the garage. And so we realized that handbags were the perfect power accessory to not only make because they had parts and pieces, but they're also something that women are willing to invest in and they're going to carry it with them every day. So it was this beautiful synergy of what we were trying to do, how we were trying to do it, and what people wanted to pay for. That's amazing. So you settled on the product and then you had to create a business and you had to, with no money, no capital to invest really of any significance, you had to get material and inventory or hook up with a contract manufacturer or however you were going to get your product produced and then you had to get it to market We want to hear what steps you took then to move this from this really cool, noble idea to the reality it is today. And speaking of reality, do I have it right that you're named one of 25 people changing the future of retail as named by uh, NRF and Apparel's 30 Under 30? Yes, that's correct. We were very honored to be recognized for, you know, basically the changes that we're trying to make in the military spouse and the retail community um, as part of bringing, you know, we have a brick and mortar business. So we had so much that we were trying to do and uh, we really needed to be able to see and communicate and experience our customers when they experience the brand. So that's definitely a, a huge part. And that was actually a happy accident many years after we had gotten started in the garage. And uh, we can, you know, if you want to, we can jump into kind of day zero when we have no money and no, no experience. That's exactly <laughs> where I want to go. Day zero with the no money. How do you put, uh-huh. I mean, how do you take it from an idea now? And I know our audience is leaning in right here because yes. everybody's got ideas, you know, and people get inspired from time to time. But moving it from inspiration or a good idea to the reality that you've created today and then to be named one of 25 people changing the future of retail. Wow. Stick with us. We're on Startup Nation Radio. Coming back with more after this break. Welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. Cameron Cruz telling her amazing story 
started in a garage with an idea and that's made it all the way to uh, a real mover and shaker within the retail world now being recognized by people who in the know in the retail space. And I know, Cameron, we had a chance to talk a little bit off air too. I know you're feeling it. You're feeling it. You're, you're, you've accomplished something great. You feel good about it. You're proud about it. And it's working, which is so cool. But in order for it to be working, you've got to go from that garage. You've got to go from ground zero. Let's start right there. You had the idea. You had this new cool model you wanted to develop. You had the reasons why you wanted to do all this. You were inspired. You were passionate about it. What are some of the things you do right away to build a business from ground zero? When you look back, key moves you made to make it happen. Yeah. So we're in an age now where you can literally Google just about anything. So you can learn how to do just about anything on the internet. And so that's the first thing we did is we started to research. We started to get what products we wanted to create, what kind of bags. So we have this semi small plan, not a business plan, because we didn't want to take the time and resources and energy to create an entire business plan only to just change it when it didn't work out. So we were gonna jump right in and just start trying things, testing, moving. We were gonna go pretty fast and pretty scrappy. And so we jump right into, we know what we wanna make and we know sort of how we wanna make it. And we honestly put a couple of thousand dollars on each of our credit cards, because wow. that, that is the capital that we, we had. We didn't have anything, right? So it started out as a liability right away. Unbelievable, <laughs> And <Yeah. laughs> But not uncommon, not uncommon. Yeah, yep. Yep. yeah, yeah. We bought a machine and we made a couple of prototypes. And from there we realized, okay, we've got to get this stuff in front of people. And we started going to markets, teeny tiny little holiday markets, retail markets, farmers markets, putting our samples in front of people. And we said, you know what? Pick any style you want, pick any color, any liner, and we'll custom make your handbag which made our customers feel really special, but it also gave us the opportunity to take an order, make some money, turn that into product, turn those five bags into 10 bags and 10 bags into 20 bags. And mm -hmm. so we really bootstrapped our way with a pre-order custom model by just showing up at these markets and getting people to order exactly what they wanted. It's unbelievable. And then you, you know, at some point you get that validation that really, really critical and the earlier you get it, the better, but that critical validation that comes with people then saying, I love this. I'm going to hear it. Here's my hard earned money. I'm going to hand it over to you and make this purchase because I love it so much. And boy, that puts wind in your sails, doesn't it? Oh, it sure does. And you know what's really interesting is since we're in this sort of digital age where everybody can start an e-commerce store and start selling something, what we got to experience really early on by going to these markets and being in front of our customers is that real-time feedback. Yes. What does our customer yes. care about? What do they not care about? What makes their eyes light up? Mm -hmm. And so by doing that as co-founders, we got to see firsthand what really resonated when we told our message. And so, you know, we got that really early on and just really went for it. Once we started to see that people did care, that people wanted to invest in this community and, and do something, kind of do their part, to help military spouses and it just took off. I would love to say it took off from there, but you know, we had several years of just trial and error, learning how to make handbags, learning how to be business owners. And I would say in 2013, 2014, it really started to gain some traction and we, we started to scale. You know, I tell you, we advocate all the time for this idea of going to markets. Well, again, whether it's farmers markets, holiday markets, whatever it may be, 
to get that firsthand feedback from the market. I'm so glad you talked about that because that is indeed such a great way when the information and the feedback coming into you at real time, as you said, and, and having it be so actionable to help shape and forge the product direction and the company direction, and maybe even learn the hot buttons on what helps you make a sale and what doesn't and validating price points and all those things early on that help shape the future of the company and really are determinant, you know, ultimately as to whether or not the company's a success or a failure. So I'm so glad you highlighted that. So here you are, you go, you go to these markets, you get the feedback, you use the information to hone the product and tighten up the business model and all that you're going to be doing. And then you did what? What was the next big moves that you made in order to start to accelerate this business? At that point, we started bringing on team members. So once we were able to say, okay, the business is going to work, we can make money, we can, we can be cash flow positive, we started to bring on people to help assemble and actually fulfill our mission of that mobile flexible income piece with all these military spouses. And when you start to bring in people, you get a whole other level of complexity in your day and your, your management. But we knew that's why, you know, this is why we wanted to start the business, so we jumped right in. And then it's becoming, okay, now we're growing a manufacturing business and we're growing a retail business. Mm -hmm. So it, it became pretty complicated for the level of experience that Lisa and I had early on. And so we really needed to lean on those people who had experience and, and start to bring in not only team members to help make bags, but advisors and team members to help grow and run the business. Mm -hmm. All right. And the business has grown to what now? You've got a brick and mortar location? We do. Yes. And you have online. What's the primary center cornerstone of the business? Is it online or is it brick and mortar? And then the others supplementary and complementary? Yeah, I, th I would say that the primary business is by far e-commerce right now. The brick and mortar that we have that's in North Carolina is definitely complementary. And we have a great stage to be able to talk to our customers to continue to get that feedback try things, test the markets, all that kind of stuff. It really is a great complement to our mission, which is to provide mobile flexible income and community to military spouses. So you could actually go into a retail store and, and talk to somebody if you're a military spouse whose husband is away or you know on a trading mission. So we've got that human-to-human -human connectivity that we all obviously missed so much during the pandemic, sure. but we all know is so important. Is this business what you hoped it would be and thought it could be? Are you there? Yes. You know, every day it shapes up to be more and more the vision. You know, I think it's been 10 years now. So we actually are celebrating our 10th year anniversary this year. And, you know, when you start a business and you jump in, there's a little time to look up and back. And so when we have these big milestones, like 10 years, you realize how far you've really come. And it really is incredible to watch it have come as far as it did. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to get to do what I love. And, you know, we work really hard to be able to provide that for ourselves and for other military spouses, but we're very blessed to be in our own space. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. I want to, in the couple of minutes that we have left, make sure we touch on kind of your ambition for this business or where do you think it can and should go over the next few years? Yeah. So we've gone from, you know, Lisa and I in the garage making five bags a week to making, you know, having the capability to make thousands of bags a week at this point. And we've always known that it's more than just a handbag company. So what we've done is we've set out to provide mobile flexible income for military spouses, but at the same time, we can take this brand well beyond accessories. 
So in a lot of sense, it's growing the assortments, growing, you know, into a different into different markets and different products. But on the other hand, it's doing a lot more of the exact same thing, which is providing that income opportunity for military families. So we wanna stay grounded in that, but also we see the possibilities as being somewhat endless on the retail side. Sure. How much of the social mission of the company drives sales, would you say, and how much of it is driven by just the quality of the product? Now, obviously both matter. Right. But, you know, I'm just curious, there's always a struggle and sometimes even a tension beyond a struggle. There's a tension between trying to do both things, you know, having a successful business as defined by generating, you know, profits, exciting profits and so on back to the stakeholders is one way to judge a business. But you're doing something more than just a business. You are also trying to achieve social good and are doing just that. I'm curious, which side of the business drives the business? Oh, it has to be a combination of both. A healthy business will be able to provide the money that you can then invest back in your community, your community invests in your business. So I see them as completely symbiotic. You cannot have one without the other at our Riveter. And, you know, honestly, a lot of people told us when we first started the company that, you know, it was kind of cute, like, good luck. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how far or how big you can grow this business, right. but you'll never be profitable. Right. So p- the reason why people are buying our Riveter handbags is because of their quality and their what they're doing for the military community. And so it's it's really, you can't really have one without the other. Yeah, I love that. Well, and you're proving it's working. You've got a highly successful business. And, you know, look, no one deserves it more than you guys. I'm thrilled with your success. And we really appreciate you coming on to Startup Nation Radio today. I wish we had more time. But it's great for you to share your story. And I have no doubt there's people out there that are jumping up off their sofas right now and starting to write a business plan. <laughs> and I I love, I love it too. Even more so, go after it. Go out there prove that you could sell it. If you can sell it, you've got, you've got yourself a market. That was a huge, you know what? That was, I, again, I highlighted that in real time when you mentioned it. You're absolutely right. The early, the, as soon as you can validate that what you're doing has merit, like I said, that'll put wind in your sails. Thanks for uh, being on today, Cameron. We love your story and thanks for sharing it with us. Of course. Thank you very much. All right. Right on. Back with more after this break on Startup Nation Radio. All right, welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. From one great entrepreneurial story now to another, we've got Chris Budnick joining us. He's founder of a company called Airroom. Chris, welcome to Startup Nation Radio. Thank you. It's good to have you on, man. You know what I love about this story more than anything else? So here is, at a high level, how I'd tee the story up. Got an entrepreneur coming on. He's created a new social media platform. What? Another social media platform? As a business, no less. As a business? Are you kidding me? And His background to create this social media marketing platform was in metal trading as a commodity trader. What the heck is going on, Chris? Is this for real? This is. This is for real. It's been a fascinating journey in in the process to get from point A to point B to where we're at today. It's a fascinating story. I mean, if you had come out of Silicon Valley and had experience at Facebook or TikTok or, you know, whatever, whatever, and you said, I think I can see an opportunity to create, in this case, Aram, and I'm going to let you tell us about it in a second, but it's a, essentially a closed or private social media platform so that it's safer, contained, you're only exposed to the people and the stuff you want to be exposed to and none of the stuff on the, none of the chaff, none of the stuff on the margins that we want to avoid. But you didn't come out of that background. And he, you, this is a story of really great vision, being very bold, being gutsy, and believing in yourself, obviously, that you could do this. Tell us about Arum and how and why you came up with it. 
Yeah. So looking at this situation, it's actually a good thing that I'm not from Silicon Valley, right? Because the standard of big tech and big media is data mining and, and trying to create as much revenue as possible. But being where I'm at today, being in commodities trades, I had a life event process happen to where I wanted to be more present with my kids. And I saw an opportunity to get into the waste management sector. Coming out of the commodity sector, I knew of all the, the end users that were utilizing recyclable materials. So I was able to create a waste management company within the industrial sector. And when we say recyclable, like what, what are these things? Any recyclable. So your, your ferrous materials, metals. Okay, Plastics, typical. cardboards, typical yep. stuff. But the unique angle there is that you were working with specific companies who had a specific need or opportunity to have these things recycled to some benefit to them. Is that right? Right. And well, it's always easy to compete in a market where there's a monopoly, right? In an archaic system. You look at the waste management sector, it's been a certain way for the last 50 years. It hasn't changed. And there's a reason why, because it's a standard of the profit. But if you go into these companies and you're able to recycle materials out of there that they never even looked at before, and it's really a romantic relationship, but everybody really wants to be landfill free. So there's a lot of work and need and energy that needs to go into that sector. So I was able to do that and then be more present with my yeah. kids and not have to travel. Okay, right on. So there you were, not have to travel, more present with your kids. Where did Air Room come from? That's a great story. So when, when COVID happened, all my plants shut down and I'm sitting at my computer and I always wanted to do something with more of a global impact and a positive impact. And I'm tending to my kids full time. They were with me the entire time, every day. The iPad alarms go off for school. <laughs> you know, I'm, I had a window of an hour and a half in the morning, and then I'd start making lunch, and then they'd be back on oh school. And as a I'd single start, parent? As a single parent. Three kids. Yeah. Well, I had, I had a great help from my fiance as well. Okay, great. She started really incorporating into the mix uh, more and more at that time. But okay. yeah, absolutely. It was, it was, a, it wow. was one, one show. I mean, that's a full-time job. It was, yeah. Okay, so there you were with your kids. You're getting through COVID, work from home. Right. Got quarantine, kids are schooling from home. Right. And, and you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm going through social media sites at night, right, trying to kind of let the brain digest things. And all I see is this just intensity, this polarizing of, of That's a good way to, in, yeah. individuals. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, like, all I really want to do is just see how my close friends or the people that I really do care about are doing. I want to see what's going on and, and really how they're doing genuinely. But there was so much traffic and the algorithms would lead you in different ways. And it just was hard to find anything out. So I had spoken to a friend about two years ago. And I said to this good friend of mine, I said, you know, Charlie, I wish there was more of a private system for families to be able to share as far as a family photo album, because we don't have family photo albums anymore, right? I remember sitting on the couch in my grandparents' house, looking through the family photo album, and it was like a reminiscence. Oh, oh dad, look at this. Mom, look at this. Well, because what? the tell stories me. that come with it. Yeah, you know, tell me the yeah. story. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, right. I want to hear about it. Right. I want to hear about your journey, because we're going through, all, all of us are going through journeys in life, but we forget that we have this connection, that we're kind of going through the same steps, right. just in different paths. Right. Right. And most of the time, that's passed down from generation to generation, and people remember the stories and then repeat them. But, you know, the ability to put them down in text, like in a social media situation where you're just sharing with close family and friends and telling a little story, whether it's three lines or a hundred lines of information, it kind of helps codify it and formalize it and organize it so that you can go back asynchronously. Any family member can and say, oh, yeah, yep. I remember that story. I remember when grandpa told me this or that or whatever it may be. Right. Well, and that's what Air Room's all about, is being able to create a platform for families to be able to share that, no matter what the distance is between them. You live 3,000 miles away, you can still have access and see what's going in with your family or your close friends. It doesn't have to just be family. Yeah. So the Air Room came about by me with COVID, feeling like I needed to do something. I had the time. 
And I started reaching out to different groups that do the backend coding in the structures. One of the things that I focus on is finding and meeting people that really are good at what they do and understanding that I can vet them through other people that I know, right? Getting the conversation together, getting those people together in a conversation to yep. be able to challenge, making sure we're doing it the right way. Yep. And so going through this process, I was able to go out there and start building this platform, 5 a.m. meetings with coders to be able to be up and, and done by seven o'clock for when the kids get up oh my God. and then 10 o'clock meetings to be able to be done with stuff uh, at that point because the kids would be in bed. But it was a fascinating journey and we have learned so much in this process. I have to ask, I mean, here you were taking care of kids, limited time, limited resources, and yet needing to fund the development of this platform. How did you do that? It's tighten up the belt. You personally funded it. I've personally funded this, but here's the kicker. Because the state of the industry right now is in dire straits, because I don't think that Facebook is going to be able to pivot. I think they're too big. It's like the automotive industry and Tesla comes in, right? I don't think it's possible for them to pivot with their mindset. Or even if they want to pivot, do they really want to pivot? Or, I, mean, I think it's too risky. Too risky, that's my point. So even if they could pivot, you're saying they can't. But I'm saying even more so, I don't, I'm not sure they think a pivot's in need. I mean, clearly they have issues, but they're kind of working through their issues. They have billions of people using the platform. It's still the leading social media platform. Uh, and, and so I'm not sure there's any pivot in sight. But anyway, go ahead. Right. But so looking at this and seeing that there's a lot of passion behind the project, it's really a passion project. So when I was in the process of vetting different people that could do the work, there were certain things that certain people wouldn't really invest any time in without being paid, but other people really would. So graphic design work, for example, uh, Rebecca, she is fantastic, worked in the automotive industry. She is top tier and she does trade at that point. Trade for? Trade for work. But I mean. On uh, shares. But a sh equity. The equity. So she took a piece of the upside. She said, I believe in your vision. Absolutely. And so instead of taking pay, I want a piece of the upside. Absolutely. Love that. That's, that's where I was driving to. I think that's a, man, that's a strategy that everyone needs to hear about. If you can come up with a great vision, if you can own it, and then if you can convey it to others, key, key people that you need in order to make it go, like Rebecca in this case, getting her to buy in. You got to be able to convey that vision in a way that shows that you're dedicated, you're all in, but that it's a great idea. There's a place for it in the world. They buy into it, man. Now they're on board. Now they're passionate about it. And what I love about them working for equity is that now you're aligned. It's not a vendor relationship. It's a partnership. You're driving toward the same goal. Exactly. And the, and the work and the, and the work ethic is there. Is right? there. Absolutely. They're putting passion. The extra, yeah, absolutely. Passion, passion drives. You said the, the, the word right there. When you can find somebody that's passionate about what they're doing, right? you've got it. So entrepreneurs out there listening, if you're going to build a company, have that great vision, be able to convey it, get others to buy into it, get on board. And in this case, you know, contribute to the development of the platform as Rebecca did. Were there others like that too, that also threw in? Yes and no. So right now we're in phase one. So the platform's launched and we wanted to get to a point to where before we go out for investment, we wanted to show not only the direction we're going, but the platform itself. Okay. I want to come back after this break. I want to learn about the platform. It's launched in kind of a beta early stage, however you want to frame it, right? MVP, minimum viable product. And you're going to validate it is the idea. And once you get there, you're going to go out for investor capital. Let's learn about the details of the platform and where it's headed and how right after this break on Startup Nation Radio. Stick with us. Chris is doing it. You can too. Stick with us on Startup Nation Radio. All right, welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. What a great show hearing from entrepreneurs who are making it happen. 
heard about the cool company Quitco. Now we're on to talking to Chris Budnick about his vision for a company called Airroom. It's a private social media platform. Tell us about what it is and its place in the world more specifically. What does it mean to have a private social media platform and access to one? A private social media platform, I think, you know, it's interesting. So I was thinking about this on the way here in the car, right? I'm thinking about the influence of, of social media today. And people are, people are genuinely upset when their accounts get deleted or, or they're censored on what they can say. Yeah. And we have to remember that Facebook has its place. It's good. But to the point that it's their platform, they can censor what goes on there, right. essentially. They right? set the rules. They set the rules. With a private system, it's your platform. You set the rules as far as what you want to say, what you want to have in your room, what you want to share within your room. And if you think about that, if you're putting all of your family's data, I have friends that are putting their kids, you know, second grade photos and baby pictures and stuff like that. They're, they're, that's their family photo album for their, their relatives that live far away. In 15 years, 10 years, 20 years, it's going to be hard to find, go back and find that information easily, right? And, and the algorithms lead you in a different direction within those systems. So with this system, what Airroom is, fundamentally, it focuses on putting all of your information chronologically in order in your room. Okay. Everything that gets posted in there. I could go in, scan a picture from 1950, and I could do a voiceover recording of that picture and what I was going through in that time frame. Or it could be a cool car. It could be this event. It could be a picture of a tree, but this tree may have a story, right? You don't know until you start listening to the voice behind the photo. Right. The story. Yeah. yeah right. So it has value to be able to bring kind of relevance and, and some, some really yeah. foundational structures okay, to individuals. I can see that. Um, is it a subscription based at the revenue model? I subscribe? Correct. Chris, let me ask you what may be, what may seem to be an obvious question to many, certainly is to me. You're taking on a project in a field that's got already leaders in this field. It's a crowded field. It's got, you know, the market share has been established and you've got to go out there and get users. You know, I mean, you've got to get people to either switch to your platform or to use your platform upon becoming aware of the advantages and differences you provide versus, you know, the others out there. What is your plan to get those users on board and to carve yourself out a market position here? That's a great question. Our focus is really on families that have a large distance between them, right? So over the border, we're looking at Mexican-American diaspora, Indian-American diaspora, families that really have a, a cherished tradition and they want to continue to cherish that tradition and having a safe place to do it. There really isn't anybody in that market right now. If we mm -hmm. look at that specifically, okay. you look at different apps like WhatsApp, you look at Facebook, you look at Snapchat. There's really nobody there that caters to privacy for the family. Now WhatsApp right. is nice. You can right. text and you can talk between it. You can share photos. You can share. It's media. really a messaging app. Messaging app. Exactly. So if you share photos yep. six months ago, yep. it's hard to find those photos. Right. There's really not much discussion on it. So with Airroom, what we're focusing on is a family photo album somewhere that no matter how far away you are from your family, whether you're living in South Korea working and you're, you know, a, a young professional, you're able to have a, a nice place to go to access that information with your family. Yeah. I think the idea is really sound, um, really sound. I think there's a need for it. I think, you know, first of all, closed social networks are, are you know, some are out there already. They're proving the model. It makes a lot of sense to me, especially around family stuff. That's kind of, kind of, you know, kept contained within the family. It's private. It's not public facing information. It fits really well yet still, because as you say, distances between family members and everything else, it's not really convenient or easy to share. They're not getting together on Sunday afternoons or, 
you know, and so they want a place to get together. This would be that, that safe place. Right. Uh, so I get it. It makes a lot of sense. Right. But you know, it's challenging because the standard within the industry, we talked about the standard we talked, we, we've talked about, and everybody kind of knows it in, in social media platforms, you know, big tech, big business. It's, there's a lot of money floating around in that, in that sector, mainly marketing dollars, et cetera. Right. But if we look at other industries that have had a hard time or, or new processes or new ideas really breaking into that industry, the automotive industry would be a great example. 20 years ago, were we ready for electric cars? Was the technology no, I, there? Right. No, we, right. it wasn't right. there. But it's interesting what we've gone through in the last couple of years with COVID and, and yeah. um, families being kind of isolated and yeah. locked down. Yeah. Is our culture ready for it now? And we do, we do really feel that they are. We feel that this could really take yeah. off with that. And you have some proof of concept. I mean, you, you have people on the platform right now using it and giving you feedback. What are you hearing from them? Oh, it's a great use of concept. We are seeing great feedback from our users. There's little things that, you know, we would prefer. But of course, here. it's early still. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. But it's interesting when we start getting into the research that's going on in collaboration with Airroom with Tufts University, where we're actually going through our UI system and curating and creating a, a different system just for retirees and baby yeah. boomers. And so, you know, we're getting great feedback on all levels. People really love the idea. We're, we're just, it's really awesome to see, but we need to take that feedback and run with it. Yeah. Run with it. And, and then move out of your early kind of test and validation and optimization phase and move on to growth, you know, scale. Absolutely. Um, and that, that, that's where, you know, likely some investments going to be required and other things in order to facilitate and support that part of the initiative. Right. And the beautiful part is, is that because we have really been studying companies like Facebook to where when they started to scale, they spent billions of dollars to scale. I mean, restructuring, rebuilding. Right. And so we actually built our structures to where we don't need to spend that money to be actually restructure and recode our system to scale. So we are actually sitting really nice in a, in a good position with our system to where it's going to scale. From a technology, from a platform standpoint, you're there. You're built for growth. Absolutely. And yeah. and, and yeah. That, that's the benefit of having uh -huh. these larger companies go yeah. through and learn lessons that we yeah. didn't have to. Yeah. You know, the other thing I like about this is that it's kind of got some organic growth capability built right in, in the sense that, you know, one family member might be the administrator of the group, set it up and everything else, and then invite the other families on board. That's not marketing dollars you have to spend to get people on board. That's that's the viral nature of this thing. It's pretty cool. You hit it right on the on the head yeah. with this one. It's cool because my parents have a room for our family. Right. And I wanted to create a room for my kids. Yeah, okay. So now I have a room for my kids. Sure. And I, I sure. actually have a couple of rooms. I'm, and just from different life lessons and journeys that I don't want to share with my kids yet. Yeah. But it's there. It's kind of documenting the process. Uh -huh. uh, and there, there's something, you know, when we go through different events in life, we don't necessarily want to share all that information right away. Right. We kind of want to process it, retain sure, it, sure, figure sure. it out. I think the idea is really strong, really sound. And by the way, I love the brand. Thank you. I do. I love the brand. Uh, did you trademark the brand, by the way? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Brand, okay. brand is trademarked. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Is the stuff that you are going to be hosting, is it on the cloud for each of the families? or? Yeah, currently. So Airroom is, is within the Amazon. Yeah. Mm, AWS. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. And your dream, is this a lifelong business for you? Is this a business you build and, and sell? What do, you, what do you think down the road? Where are you going with this? I, yeah, I don't know. The journey's been crazy. So we look at, you know, the process of how we've gotten from point A to point B. And, and I could see myself definitely investing my energy and time. But I, everybody I work with, we're all working hard just to replace ourselves, essentially, right? Yeah. There's somebody else out there that can do my job better. There's somebody yeah. else out there that'll do it. But until you find that person, 
you've got to make a living. You've got those kids to feed and send to school and all the rest. Do you envision this being your full-time gig? You're going to make a living from this until you figure out the next thing. Sure. We'll see. We'll see what, what, but that's the plan. That's the plan. Okay. You don't have any other view on how you're going to do that. You're all in. Well, so I still have the waste management company. And so I'm still working with my clients on that and, okay. in, in individual sector. But with that said, I have put different steps in line with that company to be able to take the workload off. So somebody comes in and says, air room, we're going after it. We're going to put the marketing dollars into it. We support it. We see your vision. We're with you. I'm ready to go. And I have a cool. full, full package and team ready to, cool. to rock and roll. Cool. You're going places, man. You'll get this done. I love it. We want to check in with you regularly. We want to hear about your progress, track the progress. In about six months, I know we'll have you back to tell us what's going on. You're going to tell us that you've got it out there and got investor money raised. You've got people using it. It's for real. Yes. All right, man. Thank you. We're live on Android, iOS, and web. All right. And they find you again. Tell us where. If you're on Android or iOS, just look up the Air Room app, H-E-I-R-O-O-M. If you're on web, it's www.airroom.family. All right. Right on. Chris, thanks for coming on and sharing your story. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. There you have it can't deliver two more exciting entrepreneurial stories than those we did today. If you can't get inspired and get informed by the bold execution, the bold visions that you heard about today, people making their dreams come true. If you can't get inspired by that, you probably shouldn't be thinking about getting into business. But if you did get inspired, you get out there now and think of your own business idea, start formulating plans around how you're going to make it happen. And you get out there and start it up. The preceding program was furnished by Startup Nation Media Group.